It's time for the car doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Yep. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL. And good Saturday morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program. Uh, just to let you know, I am not in the studio today, but I am still live, so you can still call in with your comments, questions, concerns. And uh, also, uh, Dennis uh, is taking a well-deserved couple weekends off, so I believe he might be celebrating his wedding anniversary or something maybe this weekend. So uh, Keith is uh, in the captain's chair today. So, uh, And I think a little bit later on in the uh, next 30 minutes or so, uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, our buddy George Kennedy. We talked to George last week when he was at the uh, Newport Cars and Coffee event before the Concord d'Elegance event. But he's actually, uh, yeah, there was an event at the uh, Lars Anderson Auto Museum called Radwood, which was supposed to be today, but I'm not so sure what's going on with the weather. But we'll hear a little bit from him. And that's kind of an interesting event because it's it's um, cars of the 80s and 90s. So a little bit a little bit different than most, uh, most car show events. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, also, it is October, which means it's October Car Care Month. And uh, this past week, I did a Facebook Live with... Uh, AAA about uh, Car Care Month, and there's also if you're going online, go to AAA's uh, website. Go to the uh, and you can do it. You can do it pretty easily. You can either go to uh, AAA.com/slash/CarCareMonth, and there is a sweepstakes you can enter, and it's a Napa sweepstakes, and you can. Uh, test your car knowledge with a few questions, and you'll be entered into uh, win. Uh, there's also free battery testing available. You can do that, but there are some car care tips. But the uh, the raffle, the raffle or sweepstakes looks pretty good. There's some there's some pretty interesting stuff that is going to be raffled off. So I think there's going to be shell gift cards. There's going to be I think it's a five hundred dollar gift certificate uh, to uh, get your car repaired at any one of our AAA-approved auto repair uh, centers. But through the month of October, also you can get up to 10% off of labor uh, at any one of our uh, AAA repair centers, up to 100 bucks. Uh, that's double the normal uh, member uh, discount, which is usually 50 but during Car Care Month, it's up, they bumped it up to 100 Also... Every AAA-approved auto repair facility has trained technicians, and they'll do a uh, multi-point inspection. They'll check the uh, windshield, windshield wipers, mirrors, headlights, taillights, brake lights, turn signals, uh, warning system, flashers, horns, vital fluids, uh, to the best that they can. They're not going to check, say, a uh, transmission fluid level in a Toyota Camry that doesn't have a dipstick, but if your car has a dipstick, they'll check it. 
Uh, battery cables, terminals, uh, make sure the uh, charging system's working okay, all the belts, hoses, tire tread and pressure, filters, fan, make sure everything's working the way it should. And that's all part of um, Car Care Month. So any one of our AAA approved auto repair facilities, you can go in and you can uh, have uh, have them check out all of those things as being part of a AAA member. So that's all part of Car Care Month. And um, the prizes are, I'm uh, let's say, oh, I'm sorry. First prize is a $250 Visa gift card. Uh, Ten second prizes of a $75 Visa gift card and 10 third prizes of $50 shell gift cards. And you have until November 1st to do the little quiz. Give you a hint of what the questions are. The correct tire pressure uh, is critical for safe driving and you can help. Where can you find the proper inflation information? There's three answers. Inside the driver's door, the car's owner's manual, or the sidewall of the tire. I'll let you know it's not the sidewall of the tire. Uh, cold temperatures can damage your vehicle's battery, so it's important to check your vehicle battery. Windshield wipers should be replaced every six months. True or false? Um, and so that's uh, that's a couple of the questions that are there. Uh, also, there's uh, there was another one. There was another one that was uh, who said, and we use this for a trivia questions once who said if you can find a better car buy it and it was uh lee iacocca by the way but i had somebody who wrote to me and said it was not lee iacocca that said that it was an advertising agency that said that but i but i said to him uh well no it's uh it's lee iacocca and i sent the guy a video and he goes no no you're wrong it's actually this other guy and again he was the ad agency guy but he wasn't the guy who was on tv and then the person person wrote back to me and said well who came up with the idea but our question was who actually said it i suppose i should have said who actually said it on television during a commercial maybe i should have been a little bit more specific uh some things you should keep in your car in case of an emergency and if you're old enough if you're old enough like me to remember the uh, blizzard of 78 where people were stuck in their cars for long periods of time and even just a couple of years ago, some people were stuck in their cars for, well, not days, but for some time. Uh, mobile phone, of course, with all of your important phone numbers in it. Mobile phone charger that may work, may not. Uh, drinking water or sports drink. Um, the thing about sports drinks, they don't freeze like water does. So where water could freeze at, you know, 32 degrees... A sports drink, because of the stuff that's in it, freezes a little bit less, and it doesn't freeze solid. It gets kind of slushy, so maybe not as healthy. Maybe it is healthier for you. I don't know. Uh, first aid kit and any necessary medication. If you're stuck in your car for what could amount to a longer period of time, you want to make sure that you have a little bit of medication with you, non-perishable food for you, and if you drive around with your cat or dog or snake or rat or whatever people drive around with in their cars. Um, but having a, you know, having a uh, uh, energy bar is a good idea. Have a couple of those. They tend to have crazy expiration dates. Uh, flashlight with extra batteries. A lot of people say, what do I need a flashlight for? I have my phone. Well, if you have your phone, that's good until the battery goes dead. And if the car, if you were sitting there long enough where you killed the battery in the car, well, you know the, the whole deal then. 
Uh, jumper cables or a jump start device is a good idea. Warning devices, flares or triangles. Flares are simple. They take up less room. Everybody who's ever lit a flare probably has a burn in their jacket or pants or something from when the flare sparks off. Triangles are a little bit better. Lighted triangles even better than that. We've talked about a few of these lighted triangles uh, from uh, the firefighter from New Jersey who invented a set of uh, um, strobe type flares to another company that uh, out of California that came up with these sequential lights. They're expensive but they're safer. Uh, extra warm clothing, gloves, boots, hats, scarves, extra windshield washer, uh, ice scraper, and brush. A long-handled snow brush will make a real difference in how well you can clean your car. Also, um, we talked about cell phones and batteries and flashlights and all of that. I got something in the mail the other day. It's called My Charge, and it is a light with... Uh, a bunch of LEDs in it, but it also has two USB ports so you can charge your battery with it, charge your phone battery with it, not your car battery. Uh, but it's a handy little thing, and depending on how bright the lights are, so when it's on its full brightness setting, it can give you up to nine hours of light. When it's on its lowest brightness setting, it can give you almost two full days of light. And But you can also plug in a cell phone or something else. There's a couple of USB ports. And I used it just the other day because when we were doing this Facebook Live event, uh, we were using an iPad for a camera, and it wasn't fully charged for some reason. And the guy doing the photography said, oh, you don't happen to have a plug-in adapter to charge up a, a phone with you, do you? And I'm like, no, I just have the kind of plugs into your car. I said, why? What's up? And he goes, oh, I need this iPad isn't charged up as as much as it should be. And I said, well, I have this thing. I have this My Charge thing. And we plugged it into the iPad. And we didn't have to worry about the iPad going dead during the middle of the video. So, uh, so you can plug in an iPad, iPhone, Android cable uh, into the device. And it will start to charge up. And it can charge up to two devices at once. And it's also a pretty bright flashlight. We actually used it to add a little bit of lighting to the the scene we we're on too. So, a uh, pretty neat little pretty neat little tool. And it's uh, it's called My Charge. And you can find out more information at mycharge.com. And uh, you can also enter if you if you register your device and buy one. Apparently, you can win a gift there too. So, all kinds of all kinds of good stuff. So. Uh, AAA also has a brochure available called "What to Do When Your Car Breaks Down." Uh, you can you can check that out on the website too. So a lot of stuff for October and Car Care Month, and you can check it out and see what see what's going on with that. It's also maybe as much as you don't want it to be. It might be time to think about putting away your summer power equipment for the winter time and getting out your winter power equipment for the winter time. And it, there's a lot of there's always a lot of conversation about what do I do? Do I drain the gas tank in my lawnmower, lawn tractor, weed whacker, all those kind of things, or do I leave it and add gasoline stabilizer? I always used to drain the fuel tank in my lawnmower and other gasoline devices, and then one year I had a problem that the carburetor just 
flooded over afterwards. So I have gone to fresh gasoline and then used a, uh, used a gasoline stabilizer. I've been using Stabil, S-T-A-B-I-L, for years. I have kind of switched over to the Marine Stabil. Uh, only because it's more it's more uh, uh, formulated for ethanol-based gasoline, which we have here in Massachusetts. So I find that works pretty well for that. So, uh, and then the best thing you can do with your winter equipment is kind of start it every once in a while, which I'll be honest, I haven't done with the little snowblower I have. I had two little snowblowers. I had a small one and a, a bigger one, like a five or six horsepower one. Um, my plan was always that I was never going to buy another snowblower. I was just going to move to a warm weather state where I wasn't going to need to do that. I don't know if that will happen quite that way, but I have a smaller snowblower that uh, that uh, I guess can, is going to have to do the job. I, I did some work to it last year to make sure it was going to be okay. But the bigger snowblowers I had, one of them, a pulley failed on it, and I couldn't. the pulley wasn't made anymore, so I gave that away to my nephew, who put it on Facebook Marketplace and sold it for 100 bucks, Good for him. And then the other snowblower I had, uh, it burnt a valve out over last winter, and I just put it on, again, on Facebook Marketplace for free. And within, let's say I put it on Facebook Marketplace on a Sunday morning at 8.30. By 8.35, I had to take it down because I got so many requests that people wanted it. So... Uh, Facebook Marketplace, kind of a good alternative if you're thinking about selling something. Uh, although there's a woman who um, who I was been uh, corresponding with this week that has tried to put her Toyota Sienna minivan on Facebook Marketplace, and I can't find it when she's done it. So I don't I don't know where it is. So we're we've been going back and forth a little bit trying to trying to help her with that to try to make sure. And it also needs a little uh, transmission uh, control unit. Uh, which is uh, her transmission shop said it was going to be about $500 or something to get it fixed, and she wanted to know about that. So the other thing is, of course, uh, you know, the, the cheap tool store, Harbor Freight. Uh, Harbor Freight, uh, I, was, I was looking through some of the things that are available, and uh, I think it looks like some of their... their raising some of the quality of their, their stuff up a little bit. They, they have a... Uh, what they call their professional series toolboxes now, which are nine and ten thousand dollars. They're they're really expensive. So, uh, so they and they also have some of their they have some new hand tools which they claim are really, you know, a match to snap on. I guess so. I haven't been to a Harbor Freight store in a while. I kind of want to go. There's one little thing I want to get, uh, but uh, always good. And the other thing is, I guess if you purchased. They have a uh, lock blade knife. It was kind of, it wasn't, it was like kind of a pocket knife, but it had a metal handle, obviously stainless steel blade, but it has been recalled. So if you bought one of these knives, um, and you can go on their website or just Google Harbor Freight Knife Recall, if you have one of these, uh, they give you a $5 gift card when you return it. So you don't need a receipt or anything. It's just there for you. So uh, there was a, um, uh, article in I think it was Motor Trend and it said off-road survival kit what you need when things go wrong off-road and one of the things it says is a 
uh, a water purification device. So water is the, by far the most important element for survival. Uh, there's something called a water brick storable three and a half gallon containers. Uh, they're easily lashed down inside the vehicle, but if you need to hike out, you only carry so much water with you. A filter like Life Straw Flex, so life, the word straw and flex, will filter uh, even mucky stream water. You can attach it to a water bottle or hydration pack and clean lots of water for a base camp. Uh, there's also something called the Platypus Gravity Works, which is more expensive and it handles up to 8 liters of water. They always recommend a first aid kit. Uh, it says here, like all things, first aid kits are not all created equal. Uh, one of them they like is called the Sportsman's 400. It's expensive. It's $125. Uh, but it also has everything you need and then more. Uh, a a jumpstart pack, uh, just like what we recommend for the wintertime. Uh, they've had uh, they've been testing something called the Ram 2500. It also has plugs where you can charge up a phone. Uh, I've I have a couple of these kicking around, and I have one in each car. With also not that I'm going off roading and anything, not that I'm going off roading or anything, but I have one in each car in case of emergencies, along with a portable air compressor in case you get a low tire or flat tire. Hey, I think our buddy George Kennedy's on the phone with us. George, is that you? Yeah, how we doing? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. <laughs> so what do you so what do you got? You were gonna to go to a car show today. What's going on what's going on with that? I still am. It's uh it's at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum in Brookline. Uh it's called Radwood, R A D Wood. And think of Rad as like a nineteen nineties term, so I'm 35. I'm a kid of the 90s, and there are a certain set of cars that are that we find interesting that you know I think a lot of other folks dismiss, and so this is a celebration of those cars. And uh, so, um, so give us an example of some of these uh, rad cars. And, and and do you cringe a little when you say rad? I have I've gotten over the the need to cringe, but uh, it. It spans from cars that, like, we kind of found as aspirational as kids, and then also the whole, uh, you know, almost normal. Like, all right, if you see, like, a Gen 1 Dodge Caravan with wood paneling that's, like, in perfect condition, there's something ironically kind of interesting about that. Or on the other end of the spectrum, the more aspirational. Uh, and if you see, like, a perfect E30 M3 or a perfect Ford Taurus show, these are cars that, you know, I didn't grow up with, you know, Oldsmobile 442 W30s and GTOs and all that stuff. Like, kind of had to make do with what we had when it came to interesting cars. And so you found, like, a lot of interesting performance variants of normal cars, right? Right. So uh, so uh, you would get all excited about, well, I was going to say a, gel, a, a Shelby, uh, an Omni-based Shelby. GLHS. Oh, yeah. Goes like hot stink, right? Is that what that stands for? That's what it goes. That's what it's supposed to stand for, apparently. <laughs> uh, or a, uh, you know that that one just that one just came to mind. But but you're right. There, I think everybody, and you know, you talk to different people, and if they're if people are in their seventies and eighties, yeah, they love cars that they lusted after when they were teenagers. People that are in their fifties and sixties love cars that were probably from the 60s and you know maybe even late 50s so uh you're right if you look at a certain age group 
they are going to they are going to look back at those cars kind of fondly. I don't know who looks back at a wood grain Dodge Caravan, but somebody might. No, but but guess what? At the same time, you and I have a friend who uh, who fetishizes Corbairs. So those are cars that that are historically significant in that they were the first of something. The the Dodge Caravan or the the Chrysler Town and Country were like the first minivans, and that started the minivan craze, which led to the crossover craze. So there are some historical touchstones in that. The other thing I would say is, you know, you see these, and this might uh, violate the sensibilities of some listeners, but you see a lot of these like '57 Chevy Bel Airs that are meticulously restored, like with you know a toothbrush, and it's like, okay, but you know those are like the Ford Tauruses of their day, right? Right. They're right. they're they're a lot at car shows because everybody had one. I wouldn't say that they're, they're, you know, special in any way other than that they're around. Like if they're just too high volume to be on that same level. So, and, and what's funny is there's something important behind this whole Radwood thing, and that is the goalposts are starting to be moved on what constitutes a classic car. We're getting to be 25, 30 years on when we go to look at some of these cars that are going to be at the show today. So in some states in the Midwest, they're trying to change the rules on what constitutes a classic car for the antique plates. You know the twenty-five, thirty-year plates or something like that. I know my my nineteen ninety-nine Jeep Cherokee is like you know right about to to qualify for antique plates. And you have some legislators in the Midwest that are trying to move the goalposts and say, well, those aren't historically significant. And to which I would say they're not historically significant to you, right? right. So the cars that that person grew up with, they're important to them. But the whole generation of people that there is a there is a new movement of classic cars, and people have to adjust the the notion that it's not the same car culture that you grew up with, right? People are saying, oh, car culture is going away. That's just not in the places you're looking at. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right because it is what is significant to you. And when you look at some of these cars, whether it's whether it's something that you, you know, so, sometimes it, it kind of, I don't know if it makes me feel old or just, well, I am old, but, uh, you know, and I see a car that, <laughs> I, I see a car that's 25 or 30 years old that has an antique plate on it, and it's a 25-year-old Chevy. And I look at it and go, well, that's a car that looks like you could drive it every day. And are they putting an antique plate on it to save on car insurance and registration fees? Or do they really think it has some significance as being a classic? And I think the legislators that are that are uh, trying to move that, move that uh, bar, they're saying, well, Hey, look, it's it really has more to do with we don't want people cheating the system, uh, rather than you know having them determine that. But but who who knows? You know, I think I think you're right. Whatever's you know when you talk to somebody that's 25 years old or or 20 years old and a Gen One Mazda Miata to them is you know a fantastic vehicle and that's the car they want. And you might look at it and go, yeah, it's a Miata, and I suppose it was somewhat significant when it came out because it. It truly was a Japanese recreation of an English car. Um, so, right. especially when you see it with, uh, you know, British racing green and a, and a brown leather interior. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I would say this. If you can put a uh, an antique plate on a Ford Falcon, then you can put an antique plate on a Ford Escort because they are the same thing 50 years later. And if you can put a an antique plate on a Volkswagen Bug, then you can put an antique plate on a Mazda Miata. Because they're essentially very similar concepts, right? The high-volume kind of niche, right? The other thing, too, is 
you know, for 90s cars, there's a whole movement of Japanese cars, and some of which are just starting to enter the market now because of the 25-year sort of embargo for safety reasons, for EPA reasons. Um, the 90s were a time of over-engineering for Japanese cars. That was sort of the bubble era for their sort of internal um, you know, ecosystem. So you had very over-engineered cars. This was the era of four-wheel steering, twin turbos, uh, you know, all sorts of trick uh, interiors, trick top stuff like that, because people were willing to buy it in the, in the home uh, Japanese market. Right. Some of those things made it to our market. And so I would say, you know, in terms of, you know, as somebody who appreciates the engineering cars, I'll watch, I'll be watching Petit Le Mans this weekend. I'll be watching Formula One this weekend. And there are so many more interesting things coming in the nineties in terms of, you know, engineering from a performance standpoint. And I find that very fascinating. And there's a story to be told that, you know, find me outside of the, Hey, you know, me and my sweetie used to take this car to the, to the, the, the drive-in about a car from the, the certain cars from the fifties compared to, Hey, this car was engineered by some guy that like ended up developing tanks later on or something like that from the nineties. Yeah, no, no, it really makes sense. And you, you kind of brought up something that if you figure it out, you'll become the wealthiest guy on, on the earth, I think, you know, I, I'm uh, listening. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, you know, in the fifties and sixties, the station wagon was the family car. And then in the eighties, the station wagon was replaced by the minivan. And like you pointed out, the minivan was sort of replaced by the SUV. The SUV was replaced by either a gigantic SUV or a super compact SUV. And if you can figure out what the next big thing is, what the next big thing that's going to appeal to the public, I, I don't know. I think flying I, SUVs, flying SUVs. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. No, it's you know what's funny about that. I think that so this is something that's a bit more sort of inside baseball for you and I. But I know within the auto industry, especially the media side, we talk about how crossovers are king. And it's even if you're on the road, you'll notice there are SUVs and crossovers everywhere. They've replaced the the family sedan as that sort of ubiquitous top-selling vehicle. And, you know, and people lament the, the end of that. And I, I would point to the time before the 50s when you had seven, eight, nine different variants on a Ford, right? You'd have like yep. a, a, you know, a five-door, a two-door, a six-window, a seven-window, an estate, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, we happen to have been in a time of equilibrium for sort of car layouts or car formats for the second half of the 20th century. But – before that, it was anything goes. And I think we're getting to a point now, if you look at a modern Mercedes-Benz or BMW lineup, they're trying to fill every unfilled niche there is. So you have these, you know, a sedan, you have a fastback sedan that almost has a hatchback. You have a coupe-like SUV. They're trying to, it's almost like uh, Mad Libs with like car design. And people are buying them. If they didn't, if they didn't sell, then BMW and Mercedes wouldn't keep developing these niche vehicles. Yeah, and and they're they're not concerned about selling a million of them. They're concerned about selling twenty five thousand of them. It seems like so. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's for for them. It's uh, where if you look at like the the pickup truck market, it's uh, bigger, better, more powerful. Yada yada yada. For for the German luxury market, is what is every piece of blue water we're not tapping into? And there's honestly a race to fill every single potential niche. How long that's sustainable is anybody's guess. But I think what they're trying to do is, you know, in terms of a very, you know, crude term is throw a lot of, you know, stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And that might answer the question that you posed about what's the next family vehicle. 
Yeah, I, it it's just really it's I th- I I still look at it and go, yeah, I don't I don't know what it is yet either. And you know, and I keep saying I don't know. Maybe it's going to be a station wagon again. Maybe it's going to be a really cool station wagon. I I a week or so ago I was driving the uh, golf sport wagon, and it happened to be uh, a great six, car. And it happened to be a six speed. And as I was driving that <laughs> car, I'm like, this is this is a really fun. You know, could it use Fifty more horsepower? Sure, could could it? You know, should it have? What well, couldn't? Yeah, I know. You know, could it have a? You know, could they do a GTI version of that? Yeah, that would be that would be great if they did that. But the idea that it's a six-speed manual, it's got a real clutch in it, and it has storage space of a small SUV, comfortable seats. You can take a corner way faster than you should, and it doesn't come back to haunt you about it. And if you wanted to go with all-wheel drive and you want to go to an all-track version there's that available too or you can go with the golf with the four motion and uh you know to me that you know is that the next thing is that something that the public might actually start to like i don't know well that's a so you pose a great question in the that of the will the wagon make a comeback and we've been seeing a lot of automakers uh bring to market wagons in the last several years volvo brought one back Buick had one or has one at the moment. And the thing is, they, they represent less than 1% of the market. It's growing, but not at the rate that it would take it over again. I think that whatever comes next will be at that high riding level of the crossover SUV. Yeah. And there's twofold. One is the, the I wouldn't call it safety, but the, the appearance of safety. Like the wagon you just described is just as safe as a Mazda CX-5 that's high up off the road. It's the fact that you're sitting high up off the road and you're not staring the wheel of that semi right down the barrel. You're like a little bit above that. That's why people buy those at a high high riding. The other reason that I think people like crossovers of that ride height is as you get older and bones start to get creaky, it's it's just an easier car to get in and out of, right? You're already sort of at that that level. It's not such a, uh, a big chore to get in and out of. Okay, old man Kennedy, jeez. (laughs) <laughs> I was just speaking from talking to folks who are who are looking for cars and what they're looking for, and I happen to know more than more than a few people that mentioned they like the Subaru Forester for that exact reason. Yeah, so, no, you, no yeah, you're I, absolutely when, right. Yeah, when older people and I'm again, I'm one of them, I guess. But when older people say <laughs> I'm I'm looking for a replacement vehicle, and I steer them towards a small SUV, a Honda CRV, Rav Four, you know, Mazda CX Five, something like that, and they go, I don't really want an SUV. And I said, try getting in and out of it, and you'll find that yeah. the height the height is easy to sit in and kind of drop out of versus sitting in a sedan where you're lifting yourself up and you see some people especially as they get into their 70s it's a little bit hard for them to push up out of the seat to do that and with an suv it makes it nice and easy like you said the forester is a good example of that well whatever vehicles i have uh until the end of my days will either be too tall or too low so it'll either be a really low sports car or really jacked up suv or pickup well you're you're tall so that's your problem yeah, that yeah. yes, that is my problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, back to back to back to this event at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum, and if people kind of forget, I think some people forget about Lars Anderson because it's been there forever, and yeah. they and and it's not a big museum. But when they have lawn events, that's truly what makes Lars Anderson special. 
and they've had you know the the ones that they have whether they're the kind of lost car ones the Volkswagen one the uh, the German motorcycle ones the uh, the Italian car day which is always a phenomenal event uh, or this mm-hmm. one um, you know it, it's just a, it's a great place to go and check out some uh, really interesting cars. Yeah, exactly. So Lars Anderson is in Brookline. It's kind of this great little hidden gem. As a little bit of background, uh, Lars and Isabella Anderson were two exceptionally wealthy people uh, at the turn of the the, uh, the century in you know the late 1800s. I think uh, Lars Anderson was like an ambassador to Japan, um, and Isabel Anderson was very active. And when Lars passed away. Uh, Isabel became the first, I think, the first female millionaire in the Western Hemisphere. Together, uh, they would go to Paris, you know, around the late 1870s, 1890s. As you know, people think of the model Model T as the first car, but the real first car was in 1889. It was the the Mercedes Benz uh, vehicle, and before that, there were actually a lot of horseless carriages being developed in France and other places in Europe. They're being steam powered, coal powered, electric powered. So. We want to talk about alt fuels. There you go. And they would bring back vehicles. Um, and as they brought them back, I mean, these were, they were kind of the Teslas of the day, right? The first cars on the block yeah. and they would op- they would open their doors and they would invite people to come look at the cars. When you go to that park, there was a mansion at the top of the hill that burnt down in the fifties, but they had a, a carriage house constructed after a, uh, a chateau in the Loire Valley. Uh, and that, became there it was a carriage house for horses and carriages and then eventually as they you know phased into uh into the horseless carriage it became a place to house those vehicles so they would open their doors they would have car shows and they would have the whole town come out and look at their collection once they passed away and i the the torch was passed and they can the the property continued to hold car meetups as as people the average folk continued to get and acquire the car and so then it became a place for, for meeting up for car shows. We kind of affectionately call it the, the country club for the car, but it's, it's not that, it's not that gatekeeping. It's, it's definitely open door. We're trying to bring, you know, folks of all kinds in there. And as we, as you said, throughout the summer, spring and fall, there are lawn events, Saturdays and Sundays. There's a lot of different theme days. You know, there's a Studebaker day, a Ford day, you know, a Japanese car and truck day. And as you mentioned, there's, you know, this in October, there's still a extinct car day, but the ones that I like the most are the, I consider myself, you know, brand agnostic, right? So I don't, you know, I am a Jeep guy, but I love everything, you know, from a, yep. a random Chrysler Conquest to a Rolls Royce and everything in between. So they do cars and coffee events about once a month. I think there's still one more to be had uh, later in September. And it's a place where everybody brings whatever car they have. And if you're into variety, those are the things to be at. Yeah, I, I really like those kind of events because as uh, when we were talking last week down in Newport, when you go to those kind of events and all of a sudden you're walking along, and you're like, oh, there's a Mustang, there's a Camaro, there's a, what the heck is that thing? And right, that, right, that right. Is, I, think is, I, I think I left a snide comment on a post you made about some guy who had like a, he had the, the place where he stored a bunch of his cars in a former yeah. Walmart. And it's like, yeah, I saw 30 Corvettes, the 30 of the same Corvettes in the background. How many of those does one guy need? And also, doesn't that get boring at some point, right? 
Well, yeah, and especially where they all sort of looked uh, close to the same. My my old boss uh, seems to have lately seems to have a a pension for uh, Shelby Mustangs, but he has like a and they have to be Shelby H. The Hertz Hertz Mustang. Oh but yeah, he, the rent rates. Yeah, yep. but he seems to have now. He seems to have like a '66, and I don't know the years exactly a 2006 and a 2016 so um okay so so i can say well oh you have three mustangs but they are so completely different three mustangs right that, that right it, to me makes makes some sort of sense and um you know you just look at that but yeah you're right if you have if you have a bunch of uh, c4 corvettes they're kind of the same Right. And the thing is, too, you know, so I I go to all sorts of different classic car options. I go to Barrett-Jackson, to Meekum, but I also go to Bonhams and uh, and Gooding and stuff like that. And the, the one thing I just kind of get over at the Barrett-Jackson stuff is when somebody goes, it's a one-of-one. One. It's like, okay, it's a 69 Buick Skylark. They made several hundred thousand of them. So how is this one-of-one? One? Well, it's the only one that came in off-white, the Landau top with air conditioning, with the radio deleted. I'm like, how is that special, right? Like, I, I love that car, make it your own, but, like, getting this, like, very pinpoint accuracy stuff for that kind of thing, like, a one-of-one one is, like, an Allard J2X, right? Like, yeah. you know, some sort of crazy European chassis with a Chrysler V8. Like, it, there needs to be a little bit more variety. I think it's just a matter of, you know, kind of going to an event like a Cars and Coffee where you kind of get exposed to stuff that you might not have known about before. It's sort of like the, the Socratic cave thing where you kind of, you get out of that cave and you open up to a whole broader world of cars. And there's so much variety out there to sort of get down in the weeds on like very high volume common cars. It's, you know, there's, there's so much more interesting things to be had out there. Yeah. This is the only one that came with the extra uh, windshield washer reservoir in the trunk. <laughs> yeah. No I mean, joke. Uh, our friend Sheldon at the, the Lars Anderson museum told me a story that he was, watching a Corvette uh, show, and there were the judges in there, and they went up to an original Stingray, and somebody uh, produced a turkey baster and a Ziploc bag, and that gentleman extruded a bit of the original coolant and deposited it in the bag and shined a light up to it to verify that it was the original uh, stuff. And I'm like, if that's how you're going about it, then you're kind of missing the plot on what makes this hobby fun. Yeah, it, it I think you're right. And I thought it was uh John or Paul Zangari last week and I asked them I asked John about it and he didn't remember him, him saying it, but I'm pretty sure one of the Zangari said it. They were at a Porsche show with I don't know, Ferdinand Porsche or something. And and they said to him, Well, you must be happy to be here and he said, No, not really. He said, My cars are designed to be driven and all these cars showed up on trailers. Yeah, that was uh, that was John that said that. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, these it, cars are meant these cars are meant to be driven. Right, right. And and I suppose if you have a car that's got you know a, you know whatever it is a you know a Corvette with a Mercury Marine engine in it and the thing's got 58 miles on it, yeah, maybe you don't drive that one because it 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 is right. you know it is just a survivor that's never been driven. But if you have one that has ten or twelve or twenty five thousand miles on, it, drive the thing, you enjoy it. You know that's what it was well, made I've, for. Right. I've always sort of adhered to the philosophy that there there should be uh, stewards for each make and model. Some people that take meticulous care of, you know, a certain certain example. But everybody else should be out having fun with the thing. I I once interviewed a. Uh, 
somebody who races a Series 1 Jaguar E-Type Coupe in the vintage racing circuit. And really cool guy. I think he's an engineering professor at, at Dartmouth or something like that. And uh, I asked him, uh, and this is really on, I asked him, like, how could, you know, do you feel nervous about going out here and, and racing this sort of awesome piece of history? And he's like, you know what, there's a lot of people who treat their cars like the uh, – like the Star Star Wars or G.I. Joe action figure that never comes out of the, the case. I'm out there in the backyard blowing it up with M80s. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. That's a, that's an interesting way to put it. But but you're right. Being able to enjoy the car is is part of part of the part of the event. You know, if you want to go see cars that are pristine, go to a go to a museum. Go to go to the heritage heritage plantation and look at their cars. Right. Look at their their collection of cars. They look like they're they just came out of a church setting. You know, they're they're beautiful. Uh, look at uh, yeah. you know, go to um, go to the Newport Car Museum, and those cars right. are stunning in there. And um, but yeah, it, but if you want to go to an event where people actually drive their cars, you know, some of these cars and coffee events, or the one, you know, the uh, the Thursday night event down in Foxborough at. Uh, uh, whatever it is, the outdoors place, you know, those, oh, yeah, those, yep, down, yeah. Yep, down by Gillette. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those events, you know, pretty much everybody drives there and, you know, sometimes right. da- down at the one at, uh, down at Gillette, there's a thousand cars that show up. And for somebody who's interested in maybe getting into the old car hobby, nothing better than talking to somebody who's made the mistakes and say, you know, don't have whatever you do. Don't buy that 66. Cause that's going to come back to haunt yeah. you. you know, or buy if you this... do look for this before, before right. the engine blows up. Right. 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 Exactly. I mean, we, you and I were talking right. about uh, the, uh, the legendary bearing in a Porsche 911. IMS bearing. Yeah. 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 So, it's either it either needs one or it's going to need one or it had one replaced. Well, look, you know, it, think think about it this way. Uh, you know, you and I were at the Newport Concours last weekend, and those are every car there is a blue chip pedigree. You know, there was a billion dollars worth of cars there, and in a show of like ninety nine cars. So yep. you you know everybody can do the math, right? And m- some of those folks trailered them in because they are pristine blue chip cars, but a heck of a lot more of them. We're driving, you know, this classic Aston Martin DB Zagato or, you know, a Maserati, you know, Grand Touring car. And these, like, incredible Concours-level cars that are all worth probably getting up into the seven figures. And they drove them. They, they drove them down. They did a whole tour around Newport. And I guess I would say that if uh, if they can drive those down and drive them around in Newport, then I think it's so fair for you to take out your 57 Chevy Bel Air when it's a little wet outside. Uh, there, there you go. It was at the uh, Thursday night event. It was kind of, it was kind of interesting. There was uh, uh, four McLarens and a, uh, and a Bugatti and I kind of looked and it was pouring rain and I'm like, I bet that's the first time those five cars have ever gotten wet. Were they new McLarens? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, so one of the really cool parts, so I, I don't know if you've talked at length. Of course, we were recording from there last weekend, but there were so many cool things that, upon reflection from last weekend to, like, to think of how cool that was. One was I got to interview Jay Leno and Donald Osborne, and then afterwards listened to uh, Leno talk with uh, one of the drivetrain guys from the Ford GT racing team. And that was a really cool talk because they talked about Ford. You know, everyone's talking about Ford versus uh, Ferrari at Le Mans the new movie coming out, but they went and did that a couple of years ago. They came back with the new Ford GT uh, supercar and they went and they won the GT class at, at Le Mans. 
and it was really cool to hear that talk and, you know, hear them, you know, there were a couple of times there, you know, get a little emotional up there, but it was in this kind of tennis hall that had like amazing vintage motorcycles there. And some, the Schumacher's formula one car was there. There was a Paris to, to, uh, to Peking rally car there. And there was a brand new Koenig saying Yesco, which is this insane, like $14 million hypercar that's I think going to be the fastest in the world. Uh, and so it's like from an engineering standpoint, from a history standpoint, uh, like this, it's not, you know, I think I get lost in the weeds too much sometimes on the, the mechanics of things. And I kind of have to stop and take, uh, take stock of like the human stories that are here and sort of the, the really interesting narratives that kind of surround these cars. Yeah, no, there there is some really interesting stuff, and and I'm happy to see that uh, next year, October first to the fourth, there's going to be, it's it's coming back hopefully as uh, yep. as yep. as the second second uh, anniversary of the Newport Concord d'Elegance, so that and Motor Week, which is uh, which is which is really good for the area. I think you know a lot of people think of Newport as extremely wealthy area which certainly parts of it are <laughs> but it's also one of the most depressed areas in rhode island so to bring some excitement sure. to bring some revenue to have the restaurants be really busy to have the uh, hotels in the area be really busy to have a lot more traffic in the area i think is is really good for the area and it's it's a good thing and it was kind of funny i i heard uh, i heard somebody complaining about uh the entry fee i guess to enter a car into the concourse was couple hundred bucks and they're like yeah oh, it's a, yeah a couple hundred a million dollars. for a million dollar car <laughs> well and and he this guy was kind of complaining and he was also uh he also was mentioning to somebody he was out car shopping and he wanted to spend he was looking for some kind of classic car he didn't know quite what he wanted he wanted to spend somewhere between 60 and eighty thousand dollars that was his that was his target price range mm. and he ended up and he ended up spending nine hundred and eighty thousand yeah, I have a funny feeling that guy's not a big tipper. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he's, and he's the guy that complained about you know a couple hundred bucks to enter his car. So um, that's exactly my point. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the other end of the spectrum, one of the cool things, and it's sort of a common thread between uh, last weekend and this weekend, is uh, at the concourse they have the thirty for thirty class, and that is cars that are under thirty thousand dollars that are either owned or worked on by people who are thirty and under. And one of the biggest things, and you know, keep talking about it, is how are you going to pass the torch? Right. It's one thing to to talk about Radwood and be like, you know, it's it's just the hobby is different, and you're looking at different places. It's another thing altogether to talk about. Well, how do you pass the torch in something that's kind of as as regimented as as Concours events? Um, and one of the things that they talked about that Leno and Donald Osborne talked about was sort of the, the idea of sort of letting your hair down with these Concours events. They're trying to remove those barriers to entry. And what they really said is, like, look, Concours events aren't meant to be just for Pierce, Arrows, and Stutz Bearcats. They're looking for the best examples of particularly historically significant cars, right? So if there is a rare car from the 70s, an extremely rare car from the 70s, uh, like an ISO Griffith or something like that. That might be the late 60s. Mm. But if it's in pristine Concord condition, they want to come in, they want to see that. It doesn't, it, it might make it in, it might not. But I think that there's going to be sort of an opening of doors for the Concord events. Um, will it have that same kind of crazy, it almost has like a Kentucky Derby mixed with like the, the Westminster Kennel Dog Show vibe to it. 
Uh, I don't know. We'll see what yeah. the future is. But there's a cl- clearly a conscious effort to get the next generation involved and try and pass the torch. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, back, you know, a million years ago up at Hemings Motor News when Terry Eric uh, was the publisher. He, you know, he was really big on take, take your kid to a car show, you know, get them involved. Uh, you know, I was talking to a, I was talking to a, uh, somebody at a little local car show on the Cape and he had his 12, 13, 14 year old son, probably 12 or 13 year old son with him. And as a project, they've been working on restoring a, a Mazda Miata. And, a, and I said something to the kid's father. I said, how's this been working out? And he said, it's been great. In fact, as he's been working on it, he's also been documenting it on an Instagram page. He set up an Instagram page for the Miata. And he said something I would have never thought about doing because, you know, I'm I'm not 12. But, uh, but he said, and this kid got real excited. And at the time, I happened to be driving the new Toyota Supra. And I thought this 12-year-old kid was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's I've, I had this same experience with that car. I was like getting, I was in the drive-through getting a cup of coffee, and some I, somebody scared the the you know what out of me because they ran up to the, the passenger side window and like slammed the window. And go, is that the new Supra? I'm like, yeah, no way. Yeah. Uh, no. So it's it's clearly uh, it's getting a lot of a lot of reactions, and I think that's pretty awesome. It's like whoever says, oh, car culture is going away, is they're just not looking in the right place because it's it's because of things like Instagram and social media, we're able to get the word out on cars. You know, in the past, like, you know, I'm sure when you were coming up, you might have heard a rumor about a car, right? But now I can go online and confirm it and, like, see the guy who works on it and learn everything about it so that the next time I see one, I know what to look for, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely right. I think you're right. Social media has done done a lot for this and and people people still care about cars you know people still people still name their cars nobody names their you know people say well a car is just an appliance these days nobody names their refrigerator. you don't name your fridge yeah exactly <laughs> and, and people and you know there's a certain amount of people who still name their cars and still really care about it uh, before i let you go you know i did i did mention the supra what do you think of it um I'm a little torn on that car. I'm, I'm exactly. glad it exists. I'm glad yep. that Toyota, you know, went and did it. But I wish they had made it more of their own. When you sit in that car, it's very evident that it's a BMW. It has BMW iDrive. You have to pay, like, BMW fees for certain tech features like Apple CarPlay. And so, oh, and there's a new recall out on BMW parts, and the, the Super is part of it. Right. That said... And then on top of that, I don't love the styling. I think it's a little busy. I think they could have smoothed some things out. Having said all of that, the performance is unbelievable. The engine sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. The acceleration is great. It corners like it's on rails. It, there is a a response out of the steering that is just like knife edge accurate. And so, like I said, I'm a little torn on that car. But there's yeah, a lot to yeah. love about it. And I, I no. understand why people are happy it's back. No, I, I... – I agree that the steering is sort of legendary 3 Series BMW. The reason that people used to love mm-hmm. the previous generation 3 Series because the steering was almost telepathic, and it was in the Supra. The one, my one real complaint with the Supra was I like to drive with the windows down. You put the windows down, the thing buffets like crazy inside the car, and you, you can't drive above 55 with the windows down. It wants to rattle the end of the car, and that... I, 
I, and I, I was talking to somebody from uh, Toyota about it, and I said, I think they have to find a way to be able to tilt the rear glass open an inch to get the air out of the car so it doesn't yeah. rattle you out of it. Yeah, well, that's. I noticed that the entire canopy was really low. I slammed the back of my head on it twice getting in and out. And yeah. to that, I would just say, you know what? That's what the BMW Z4 convertible is for because they're essentially the same car right. from a chassis standpoint. Right. And that way, if I get the, the Z4, I can put the top down and don't have to worry about hitting my head. Yeah, but I want a Supra. yeah exactly hey george uh where can people read about you see you hear about you all that kind of stuff yeah sure uh you know coverage from the newport concourse is on boston.com my reviews are on car gurus and uh then a lot of my uh, car buying advice is on u.s news and world report so u.s news and world report car gurus and go to boston.com to see a little bit more update about what happened down in newport uh uh check it all out and uh, and uh, maybe uh, maybe people will run into you at the uh, Lars Anderson Auto Museum. Maybe. <laughs> uh, he's tall. He's tall. He's got a beard. Look for him. Yeah. All right. Take care, George. Exactly. Thank you. All right. Safe luck. I'm pretty sure this music is also provided by somebody George and I know, Craig Fitzgerald. All right, we need to take a break, pay some bills. My name's John Paul. I will be back in just a minute. Uh, Okay, I just actually sent you a text. How many breaks? Oh, okay. Really? Well, well, we'll take a break now. We'll take a break at what, 9.30? Want to take another one? Well, we'll take a break now, and you want to take another break at 9.30? I said we'll take a break now, and did you want to take another break at 9.30? A long, long time ago I can still remember that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. Uh, our phone number is 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. That's how you get through and... Talk to us about your car and your car problems. Uh, our phone number again, 617-770-3030. Uh, I think we have a call. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Good morning. Good morning, John. This is Tom from Kingston. Hey, Tom. How are you? Doing good, thank you. Uh, we had a little situation yesterday. We are in the parking lot over in Halifax of uh, Walmart. And for some reason, you know, when you shut the car off and you leave the headlights on, the battery goes dead. I find it hard to believe, but things like that happen. So we had the pleasure of calling AAA, and they came down, and they said, the battery is kind of weak. Do you want us to replace it? And we uh, declined at that point. Yeah. So the reason I'm calling is to find out the batteries that they offer, are they like regular price and how do they match up to the ones you get at the big box stores or the 
local supply uh, advance uh, AutoZone yeah. places like that. Yeah, our, the batteries that AAA sells are made by a company called East Penn Battery. They're the same people that make a whole bunch of batteries, including batteries for Walmart. Um, they are, our batteries have a six-year warranty. The first three years is 100% replacement. In fact, you don't even have to be the original purchaser of the battery. If, it, if we recognize it as a AAA battery and it has a sticker on it, and it's less than three years old, we'll still replace it. Um, it has, it, it's equal to or better than the uh, battery that came in the car capacity-wise. So if your battery is a 550 cold cranking amp battery, it's at least that, if not better. Yeah. And it also has, it has at least the same reserve capacity, if not better than the one that came with the car brand new. So it's, it, is, it is a good quality battery. And it is, um, it, it's something that, uh, you know, we looked, we looked around. We used to use, we used to use another battery company, and we had too high a failure rate. So we switched over to this, to this East Penn company. And the other thing is, we don't keep our batteries on the shelf more than it's either three months or six months, where other, some other people will uh, keep the batteries for up to a year. In fact, we heard. We heard an unsubstantiated rumor, and that's the only way I'm going to call it, is that um, when we send our batteries back to the manufacturer because they're three or four months old, uh, nope. they actually they actually just um, peel all of our labels off of them, retag them, and then put them back out on the market under somebody else's name. So we try to provide the freshest battery that we can provide because age is age is a culprit of a battery i bought i bought a a, a battery for uh i have i have this little honda motor scooter and it's and it's just a it's just electric start there's no kickstart on it and the battery went bad so i replaced the battery in it and when i got the battery from the auto parts store i looked at it and i'm like this thing is this thing's more than two years old and these batteries generally only last a couple of years and it was right. and it was and it was actually a liquid filled battery so it wasn't even like it it had the acid kind of on the side and you mixed it together and you ended up with something nice and fresh this was and the guy said to me well you know that's 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 all we got and i'm like oh, well i kind of wanted <laughs> i i, I, I kind of wanted something that ran so. don't you like don't you like that answer that's yeah, all we I got know, yeah, that's all we got yeah <laughs> so um so it 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 is you know certainly if they, you know, the best thing to do always is to fully charge up the battery and then test it and see what kind of condition it's in after it's fully charged up. And uh, and the and the best now, way to test the lady, the lady that came out, she's uh, she said she tested it. Well, you know, yep. when they said go ahead and yep. start it. Yep. And, you know, maybe maybe because it was a matter of leaving lights on, it wasn't like it uh, it wasn't like it had a bad cell in it. But how old's the battery? How old's the battery in the vehicle? I would assume somewhere it's hard to remember, but I would at least five. Yeah, and the average, the average statistically, you know, if you like statistics, I don't actually, but if you like statistics, the average life of a battery in New England is just about two months short of five years old, and okay. certainly, and that's an average. And I mean, some are 
you know, some will last seven or eight years and some will last three years. But the typical life of a battery is right around five years old. So if your battery is about five years old, it's probably getting close. Uh, the battery in my wife's car now is edging, you know, by manufacturer date. It's just about five years old. I tested it the other day and it tested out at 650 cold cranking amps. It's doing really well. I don't suspect I'll have a problem with it over the winter, uh, but it, it is getting, you know, close to the age-wise where it, you know, potentially could have a problem based on, you know, just what we know about how long batteries last. Uh, you know, a lot of people think winter's the, the time where batteries fail, and that is true, but they get damaged over the summer from the summer heat, and it's the winter that me, puts the stress on the battery. Let me ask you this. Is, will I be charged an extra... If I call up AAA and say, listen, somebody came out and gave us a jump yesterday, and they recommend the battery be replaced, do we get charged for another visit to replace um, the battery? You you will be charged for another visit, but if you come up to your maximum amount, we'll waive the we'll waive the next call. So um, that's what that's what I've always you know when somebody comes out and says, for instance, I've had three bad I've had three flat tires. And then, okay. but I want to have my battery tested and see what kind of shape it's in. And we come out and we say to them, yeah, you know, you really need to think about a battery. And the person goes, you know, I really can't afford one right now, but I, I'm, it's good to know what it is. And a couple of days later, all of a sudden the battery goes dead or whatever the case is. And they're on there. Technically, they're, they're past their maximum amount of calls for the year. You just, you right. just talk to, they, you just talk to somebody. We waive that. We, we, we break a lot of rules. Well, the guidelines. Yeah, yeah, that's rather, it. rather than rules. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's a good way. That's a good way to think of it. I'm going to use that from now on. Okay, good. And okay. plus, we get you know winter season coming. Don't want to get stuck. Right, right. And, so. and yeah, and it, it, you know, and again, it sounds like your battery was not completely worn out, but it sounds like it's in kind of marginal shape. And it's kind of funny. My old car, the battery tested out at. I did the same thing. I left the hatch door a little bit ajar, and it, and in the yep. you know that on on uh, Sunday morning I went to go pick something up and turn the key, nothing, uh, and it was uh, and I I tested the battery and it showed up as marginal after I recharged it, and I'm like yeah, yeah it'll be okay. But three weeks later, three weeks later the battery was dead, so so <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> so I uh, so I, I went re- went and replaced the battery so. But yeah, hmm. you can. Yeah, you can all. You know, and it is, and and it is kind of convenient to have someone come out and put a battery in your in your car while it's sitting in your driveway. You know, to the to me, that's always kind of a convenient way to get a battery replaced. So. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good because I wasn't sure, but I yeah. thank you very much. Now all I'm right. positive what to do. All right. You have good a great enough. weekend. All right. You as well. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty is how you get through and talk to us. Uh, before we get to Frank, I want to talk about this. This is something I always wanted to try. It's a company called Collier Car Clubs, and they're building a. Well, I'm not going to do it because I'm too cheap. But it's a premium purpose built. Uh, membership garage for car lovers and collectors. They're going to open up in uh, Delray Beach, Florida, but it's a high-quality storage facility. It's designed for the active community for car lovers with expert staff and equipment on hand. And what you can do, you can store a car, 
You can work on your car. They have a co-working space with lifts, community tools, on-site expert staff to guide you and help you. Uh, you can uh, plan how to uh, plan how to uh, restore a car if that's what you have in mind, or you can just go and hang out there. I have no idea how much this costs, but they talk about one of the guys has a 1935 Duesenberg, so way over my price range. But I always thought a a spot where people could come hang out, work on their cars a little bit. I always thought the uh, the ultimate would be like a bed and breakfast with a five car garage. So somebody was on a car tour, they could pull in check the car out, make sure it's in good shape, tighten up whatever's rattling, um, you know, have tools and a lift. And it's all part of the, you know, better. You know, I, I would like that better than uh, good muffins at the bed and breakfast. Let's talk to Frank. Good morning, Frank. Morning, John Paul. How are you? I have a uh, 2008 Ford E-150 van. Yeah. And I went last Saturday to change the um, shock absorbers in the front of it. Yeah. And... I've never seen such a uh, situation where there's no room to get at the uh, top of the uh, shock. There's like quarter-inch space there from where the perch mount there for the shock and the body is, especially on the driver's side. It's it's like almost impossible. I wonder if you had any tricks or any uh, <clears throat> knowledge of how to uh, change a shock uh, easy. You know what I mean? Uh, I I don't I as as I recall I don't think there is I don't think there is an easy way I think I think you're just going to be uh, you're just going to be fighting it the whole way other than it it's funny they've they've had some uh, they've had some you know kind of special designed wrenches almost to almost to do this kind of work sometimes to be able to to be able to get in there and be able to get to it and and do it but. Um, it, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just aggravating, I guess. And and it's, um, it, you know, when when before there was rust, uh, you know, uh, you would look at this and go, well, there's, you know, there's nothing tricky about this. You just get a, you just get a ratchet, ratchet style wrench or something in there and get up there, and you can, uh, you can be able to be able to take everything apart. But uh, unfortunately, sometimes in in that case where there's no room, what what happens in a repair shop is they just they just burn off the top top of the shock uh, with a torch. Yeah, I I was uh, I was surprised at the difference between the replacement shock and the original equipment shock. As far as uh, they had like a it looks like a three quarter nut on the top of the uh, original equipment yep. shock. Yeah, and on the Gabriel Ultra Shock, the replacement one, it's only like 14 millimeters, the nut that's on there. Yeah. And I'm saying like, wow, and even the stud itself coming through looks, you know, another size again bigger than the uh, replacement shock. And I'm saying like, I'm wondering if this this is, uh, does that matter? I mean, is it just if the, uh, they design it so that they use a smaller uh, yeah. shaft in the shock? You know what I mean? It's a, it's a half-ton truck, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's got yeah. the twin I-beam suspension. Yeah, it's, pro- it's probably one of those things where it's a, uh, where that shock fits more than one vehicle, so it, it probably matches up. As long as, the, as long as the rubber bushing that goes in the top of the shock fits in the hole where the shock is, okay and so you know it's not going to shift around and the threaded part of the shaft of the shock sucks it down enough so it's not going to move it'll be fine well another thing i was wondering about you know you mentioned rust 
Like on the brake lines and the front there, I noticed that uh, where they make up the hose with the uh, line itself, you know, that it's rusting from the road salt or whatever there. And I'm yep. wondering, uh, is it is it a good idea to spray those? with the, Do they have like a rust uh, prevention product or a rust restoration product or something like that? I, I, you know, I always look at that stuff and kind of go, yeah, it's not, it's not going to hurt it. Uh, you know, the stuff we put on the roads today is tough on all of the, you know, whether it's brake lines, mounting brackets. Uh, in fact, I just um, looked at some uh, product. Somebody just sent me something, a guy that I've, I've known for years, and he just sent me a product that is really supposed to try to uh, try to really prevent kind of all the rusting it's all it's all the stuff it's all the stuff we put on the roads today is really what choose choose everything up so i think it at this point i would uh you know if you sprayed something and there's a there's kind of a i i think it's um i i, I can't remember who who makes it but it's sort of a waxy spray stuff and it comes out it almost looks like wax when it comes out of the spray can and if you sprayed you know you sprayed that stuff around I don't think it. Uh, I think it's not, something that's not going to certainly not going to hurt. So. Yeah, I, I didn't know uh, if there was any product better than another for that. I've never used it, but. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would stay away from like, you know, what you would think of as like traditional undercoating. Uh, I would look at. Uh, it, I wish I could remember who it was, but it was. Uh, it was a. Um, it was it was a product that it it almost looked like a, a waxy style product. So, uh, right. yeah. And uh, have you started to do these shocks yet? No. No. You know the other thing is I would uh, I would let the internet be your friend a little bit on this and go to YouTube and and look up uh, look up how to how to replace the shocks. You may find something a little bit easier. Uh, somebody may have a little bit of a tip to do it and on how to you know how to do it. Uh, uh, you may find, even though there isn't a lot of room and it's really awkward to get to because of where the, like you said, where the shock mount comes up and there's the metal part of the frame and, you know, getting in there to be able to get to that, uh, you know, you may find somebody has a little tip of, of uh, doing something to be able to get to it. Uh, they, uh, uh, you know, I I think the, the wrench that you have to get in there has to be sort of a, a, a just a ratcheting style wrench to be able to get on that to turn the you know hold the nut and turn the shaft and get it off of there that's about the only way you're going to get it off so no it's yeah, ugly, i didn't know if like yeah. you know i was thinking maybe a tear chisel or something i don't know yeah uh, yeah, uh, to yeah try to it, cut that shaft but i don't know how hard that no, shaft that, is. that's a that's a hard that's a hard and steel shaft you'll never you'll never cut through it with an air chisel and especially where it's mounted in a, a rubber rubber bushing assembly all it's going to do is vibrate back at you yeah yeah I'm wondering, uh, like, would it help, you think, if I put propane on the nut or something, if I could get propane in there or two, well, you know? Well, then you got, you're definitely going to melt the bushing, so you'll be, uh, you'll be a little bit easier. But, um, you know, you might, even, you might even try, I would try getting in there with a Sawzall and cutting it with a Sawzall before I tried anything else. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, get a, get a brand new, get a brand new metal cutting blade. Get the sawzall in there, and where that where that edge of the I guess inner fender comes up and wraps around, where you can't see anything. Try to cut right. try to cut it there, and then you'll cut the top of it off, and then the top piece will fall out. So that's about the easiest way to get to it. 
All right, Tim Johnson. Okay. Thank you very right. much for your information. All right. All right. Good luck. Don't don't hurt yourself. Bye. All right. Take care. We need to take another break. Pay some more bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. You're listening on AM 950 WRO. They all started looking real suspicious at him and he. Well, during the break, I was uh, actually, I went to YouTube during the break, and I was actually looking up how to replace the shocks on an E-150. And sure enough, there are a couple of people, one of them, one of them went with my suggestion of just hacking the shock apart with a Sawzall, and the other one showed, and I don't know, and I guess the driver's side is the one that is the real problem area the one that's really hard to get to and how these were designed to work is it was designed to get a weird little offset wrench in the top and the shock itself has a nut welded onto the top of the shock uh, stud and you hold one and turn the other and again before it was all rusty that was probably worked out great but now it's all rusty and you're not going to be able to get it off what they did one of the one of the uh videos that I was just looking at apparently there is a uh, cable it must be the gas pedal cable that runs through the floor and now this is a little bit older one I think this is a 99 but it's uh, essentially the same thing and you pull the cable off or the or the parking brake cable it's some some kind of cable I'm probably I'm guessing it's probably the parking brake cable but there's a big grommet that runs through the firewall and you kind of peel the grommet off to one side, and you can actually see the top of the nut for the shock. So you can get, get kind of a wrench on the inside and a wrench on the outside. So you get the wrench on the inside of the car and have it up against the body, and then you get the uh, the wrench uh, a wrench on the bottom of the uh, bushing where the the stud is. But I think living here in New England. This this video is was done in 2016. It was a 2007 or 2000 no a 1999 van. Uh, again, the same sort of basic design. You can't get to it, uh, and it's not really rusty. So I don't know where this guy came from, but uh, there's no rust wherever this guy lives. And I think if uh, if uh, you have to do this, it might be one of those things that to do it, you have to actually get in there and cut cut the top of the shock just under that piece of metal where the shock mounts to, where the sort of shock perch is. Uh, that's going to be the only way you're going to get to it. And I think somebody with a torch would just blow through it with a torch. You don't have one of those. I wouldn't go in there with propane or map gas. It's just going to melt the bushing. That's not, not really going to help you a whole heck of a lot. I'd probably try to get in there again a good uh, sawzall blade and uh, 
be careful and just get in there and, and cut the shock. You can probably get it off. Short of that, that's about the only way you're going to get a wrench on there to be able to tighten it up because the way it's designed, you actually hold the uh, nut that holds the top of the shock with a wrench and you actually spin the shock body up to the nut to tighten it all down. So I got an uh, email from Doug Love at Consumer Reports and he says to me, uh, Consumer Reports tested a Tesla recently. Uh, they launched something called Smart Summon feature on the Model 3. In other words, you push a button and the car comes to get you. And we found that the automation was glitchy and at times worked intermittently without a lot of obvious obvious benefits. We tested the feature over several days at our auto test center in Colchester, Connecticut, and in nearby parking lots. Our analysis comes on the heels of a flurry of social media posts from Tesla owners critical of the feature. Tesla says Smart Summit is one of the first products in a suite of technology it markets as full self-driving. The automaker activated the feature for car owners using over-the-air updates in September. Again, connected cars, will it end the uh, repairs at auto shops? I don't know. The online marketing materials and public comments from uh, Elon Musk, Tesla owners using smart uh, smartphone can summon their vehicles to come pick them up uh, to help in everyday situations such as to avoid walking across a parking lot uh, in the rain with an armful of groceries, for instance. The Model 3 owner's manual contains numerous warnings about the limitations, including it can't be used on public roads. You can't detect all traffic and curbs. My old boss had a Tesla Model S, and it had this feature. And he's like, let me show you this. And he pushes a button, and, and the thing backed over a curb. So... Uh, and uh, they still they still need to do a little bit of work to that, so uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see uh, how good that works. Uh, George talked about this a little bit. BMW is going to recall uh, some vehicles, uh, including the uh, the new uh, uh, Toyota Supra, but also recalling uh, five series uh, sedans, sport wagons. Uh, three series sedans, some of their sport wagons, and the Z4 Coupe are involved in the recall. Uh, it has to do with a uh, PCV valve issue, and due to some manufacturing problems, the the, the component may melt. Uh, owners will should be notified over that. About 8,000 new Dodge and Chrysler sedans and coupes may have been recalled to address an electrical issue that could prevent their dashboard warning lights from working. This isn't very many; it's less than 10,000 vehicles. Um, also. Uh, uh, Fiat Chrysler, which is what really they are, is recalling 850 Dodge and Chrysler cars for excess emissions. Uh, most of those are probably in inventory. It's a it's a uh, software fix to fix that. I'm I have been driving an electric car for the past few days, and it's a it's it's a Nissan Leaf, but it's a Nissan Leaf with a big battery. And one of the problems is when it does need to be recharged, it it recharges best from a level three, the the high voltage battery charger. Uh, you can fully recharge the battery in probably a couple hours. On a level two charger, it's going to take to fully recharge the battery probably six or seven hours. To plug it in overnight on a 110 outlet, it's going to take uh, oh 36 hours if it's fully discharged. But in a company a company called Aptera is uh, they're building what they call the world's most efficient passenger vehicles. Includes never charge, an integrated solar charging option that means never having to charge a car again. The first solar vehicle charging system capable of meeting well over the mileage needs of most drivers. A no-fuel transportation option is finally available as a result of Aptera's efficient vehicle design. And uh, 
apparently some solar cells. You have Terra, which can go a thousand miles on a single charge. It's four times more efficient than the average EV at 100 watt hours per mile. It boasts the lowest energy com consumption of any vehicle on the road. Uh, modest solar complement integrated in the surface of the body can uh, now supply up to 40 miles worth of power per day and uh, more than 11,000 miles total charge per year with no impact on performance. Never charges first offering uh, to provide a truly grid independent transportation. Sounds like you can drive a car for free. We'll have to wait and see until we hear a little bit more about that coming up. I I have heard that uh, Professor Paul Sullivan is still feeling a little bit under the weather this Saturday, and our buddy Matt O'Donnell may be in the studio. Matt, are you there? Or not. But I think he's there. I think the Irish hit parade is going to be helmed by Matt O'Donnell this time. So uh, we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, he's ready. Matt's there, and he's ready. Fantastic. Because this is where yes. you hear the very best them. in Irish I music. I just had to turn it up. Oh, well, uh, John Paul, I don't have my headphones on yet. But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm here, ready, here. and uh, willing to go uh, in wow. Paul's stead. And uh, looking forward to being here right up till 2.30 when Bill Bailey and the ba uh, Bailey Cayley program comes on right here on WROL. No better place to be and no better place to tune in is AM 950, 100.3 FM. Uh, tap the app. Uh, go online, WROL Radio, for the very best in Irish music. You hear it here uh, every Saturday and Sunday. Hey, that music means we got to go. Uh, I want to thank uh, Keith Foster for filling in for Dennis. I will be back in the studio next week. Until next week, make sure you're wearing your seatbelt. Drive safely and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. I met my love